Good morning, church. Have you ever had a nightmare? Talking about a scary dream that you can feel. It's that real. Usually in those nightmares, your worst fears are coming true in a bizarre way. Your heart races and maybe you even begin to sweat. But there is an escape. You can wake up. (laughs) But can you imagine being in your worst nightmare and there's no escape? There's no exit. You try your best and you can't wake up. Well, in our text this morning, Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, find themselves in a nightmare that they cannot escape. Now, allow me a few moments to recap this story of chapter one with us. We have a family, Elimelech, the dad, Naomi, mama. Then we got Malone and Kilion, the two sons. I can't help but to picture their family photo. And there's a famine in the home country of Judah. And so thinking that the grass is greener on the other side, in Moab, they pack their bags from Bethlehem and head to Moab for refuge. But then tragedy strikes. The first funeral takes place. Elimelech, the father, dies. Wives, what would it feel like to have your husband pass away? And some of you don't have to imagine this. You've been through it yourselves. But then there's two weddings. Ruth and Orpah joined the family, and yeah, they're Moabite, okay? (laughs) Yet, there looks like there might be some hope. Maybe they might have children and cause the family line to live on. But 10 years pass, no children. And in fact, tragedy strikes again, twice, Malone, Kilion, They both die. Parents, can you imagine the feeling of having to bury your children? What a nightmare. And some of you have experienced that in various ways. Naomi is in a nightmare that she cannot wake up from. But then Naomi overhears that Yahweh had visited his people, so she packs her bags and returns to the promised land and tells her daughters-in-law that they are better off apart from her because she is cursed. God has cursed her, so y'all get away. Go back and find you a husband somewhere else. And one daughter-in-law takes her up on that advice and abandons ship. But one daughter-in-law 
remains. Her name is Ruth. And Ruth and Naomi return to Bethlehem. And Naomi is bitter. Things went bitterly for her. And she basically becomes her pain, naming herself Mara, which means bitter. And truth is, she blames God for it all. Think, and, and you may find yourself blaming God for whatever bitter circumstance you are facing in life. But though Naomi felt cursed by God, Notice she never cursed God. Well, this morning, we're going to focus on this main question. How does God take the bitterness of life and make it sweet again? How does God take the bitterness of life and make it sweet again? He does so by four things that we're going to see in this text. Number one, his sovereignty. His sovereignty, that's verses one through three. Number two, his protection. His protection, that's verses four through 13. Number three, his provision, that's verses 14 through 17. And lastly, number four, his redeemer. His redeemer, that's verses 18 through 23. His sovereignty. Let's look at verses 1 through 3 with me of Ruth chapter 2. If you have your red Bibles in in the pews or or the chairs before you, that's on page 222. And if you do not have a Bible of your own, feel free to take that home as a gift from Capitol Hill Baptist Church to you. That's Ruth chapter 2. And it reads, Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out, verse 3, and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So verse 1 introduces us to Boaz, a worthy man. This speaks to his character and to his wealth. Boaz had that money, (laughs) y'all. He was not broke. But it also speaks to his integrity. He was a man of valor, worthy. And then the camera lens kind of focuses off of Boaz, this brief intro that he wants to keep in the back of our mind and shifts to this conversation between Naomi and Ruth. Verse 2, Ruth asked Naomi for permission to glean. Gleaning is picking up the pieces of grain that harvesters drop as they, as they do their work. And this is an act of faith in the Torah the instruction of Yahweh, the Old Testament. See, in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 through 10, Leviticus 19, 9 through 10 reads, when you reap the harvest of your land, 
you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes from your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Here we have a sort of Israelite welfare system for the poor. They still had to work. They had to put some sweat equity into it. But the resources were accessible for them in their poverty by those who had the resources. Yet this task is a dangerous task, especially a foreigner, a woman, and during the time of the judges. A foreigner, she has no clan to have her back if someone does her harm. No one to avenge her, to protect her. Then, as a woman without a husband, she has no layer of protection, no husband's reputation to guard her. Then, the time of judges were a time of decayed morality. It was a time when everybody did what was right in their own eyes. This was a dangerous time to go gleaning. And yet, Ruth goes anyway. Verse 2, why does she go? She goes to find favor in whoever's eyes she might find it. She does not know in whose eyes she will find favor, but she believes that she will. This is an act of faith, believing that she will find favor based upon God's word. And so despite the risk, verse 3 tells us she trusted and she obeyed. And what does it say? Look at the result in verse 3. And it, and she happened, right, to come to the field of Boaz. She happened. It sounds like she got lucky. It kind of sounds like an accident, (laughs) But see, the author wants us to know that what looks like a coincidence, an accident from Ruth's perspective is actually a sovereign God intervening on her behalf. See, we Christians, we worship the creator God who made the world with his voice. He spoke the world into existence, but he didn't just kind of back off of the world like a clockmaker and just let it run its course. No, no, no. God is in heaven controlling all things on earth according to his plan and glory. Every bit of it. Not not a hair can fall from your head without his say-so. This big God that we worship is in control. And he even controls the roll of a dice, as Proverbs 16.33 says. And also, like Job 1 and 2 clarifies, he also controls Satan. Satan cannot do his people any harm without his say-so. But does that mean that God commits evil? No, my friend. The very same sharp shank that the evil one seeks to thrust us with is a scalpel 
that God uses to cut away our idols, our pride, our self-reliance, our lesser loves. Yes, it hurts. But a loving God is providentially in control over all things, and he means for his glory and his people's good in all things. Both tragedy and triumph are in our sovereign God's hands. And Ruth acted on that. How about you, brother or sister? Do you trust God's sovereignty? What do you do when you find yourself in a hopeless situation? Do you, like Ruth, turn and act in faith based upon God's word? Or do you turn into complacency and disobedience? Let me remind you of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 real quick. It's like the Swiss army knife of God's promises. It applies to so much. It says, trust in Yahweh with all of your, can you finish it? Heart. Let's try this again. Trust in Yahweh with all of your heart. And that's talking about your inner person, your intellect, your volition, your will. Trust him with all of your heart, not some of it. In all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him. And what are you going to do? He will make your path straight. He will give you the strength to walk in his will. Trust God's word enough to obey it, believing that he will do whatever good he wills, even when you can't figure it out ahead of time. This looks like praying often for wisdom throughout the day. This looks like searching the scriptures for answers. It looks like meeting up with pastors and otherwise counsel, godly Christian, mature Christians, and seeking further understanding and insight. That is what it looks like. It looks like remembering how so often your own understanding has gotten you in your own trouble. This looks like whatever my God ordains is right. His holy will abideth. I will be still whatever he does and follow where he guideth. And children and teens, I want you to think about this for a second. Maybe ask your parents or someone else during lunchtime that you know as a Christian, ask them, what are some ways that God showed up for you when you just trusted and obeyed his word? Oh, that'll make for some good testimonies over lunch. But also, if you are here in this room and you are struggling financially or spiritually, please, I beg of you, swallow your pride and ask for help. We have a benevolence fund in this church. This saints give to that of their own free will to support and to care for one another going through hard times. Let's lean on one another. So how does God take the bitterness of life and make it sweet again? First, by his sovereignty. But secondly, by his protection. His protection. And this is the longest section. And I'll start by reading verses 4 through 7. Chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. That's good timing. 
And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman, came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So first in verse four, we see Boaz's blessing, right? First, he's blessing his workers with this kind of like greeting slash prayer. He asked that Yahweh would be with them. That's what all capital L-O-R-D, that's, that's Yahweh's sacred name. He says, may Yahweh be with you. He's asking that God, Yahweh's sacred presence would reside with them. But then his workers say back to him, may Yahweh bless you. This is number six, Aaronic language, the, the blessing that the priests were to pray over God's people, his workers are praying over their boss. This is a blessed man. The author highlights this blessing. And can you just imagine your employees praying scripture back over you? This is the first of three blessings upon Boaz that we'll see more in verse 19 and 20. But verse 5, Boaz begins to inquire about Ruth's identity. You see it? He says, Who, to, whose young woman is this? He's wondering, who does she belong to? Because typically, someone was associated with a clan or a husband or maybe they were someone else's servant that they lent over to the property, property to help work it that day. So he's trying to identify who she belonged to. He knows she doesn't work for him. But verse 6 through 7, the servant gives a report of what had transpired in Ruth's time. He says, verse he begins with her Moabite heritage, right? She's the Moabite woman. Moab and Israel have been in conflict for a long time. In my neighborhood, we call that beefing. (laughs) They had been at enmity, odds, beefing with one another for a long time. And so it starts off with her as an enemy, but then he starts to note how she had returned with Naomi or came back. This is the key word from chapter one, that return, that repentance that her and Naomi had transpired after they went, after Naomi had went to the wrong land and left the promised land seeking refuge. She had turned back. And then he mentions her request to glean. She's asking for help to glean. And he's like, Man, we gave her that permission, and look at her work ethic. She just keeps working. She doesn't take mindless breaks scrolling on Instagram. She gets after it. Well, what will Boaz do, though? Will he despise her because of her ethnicity? Will he despise her because of her nationality, ignore her poverty, and tell her, go away? And what would you do? Matter of fact, what do you do? 
When the poor come to you for aid, do you sinfully prejudge them and ignore them? Do you let their ethnicity or country of origin or some other shallow standard determine if you will show them love and respect? Now, there's plenty of room for wisdom and prudence here, but let us not grow numb to our neighbor's need, especially our fellow members. Let's look at what Boaz does in verse 8 and 9. Verse 8 and 9, then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. This phrase, my daughter, is a way of, it's kind of an affectionate term to, to give to a stranger. He's treating her as he would his own daughter. He's going to take care of her in this time. Then he pronounces protection. He, he pledges protection and hydration, right? Two dangers working in the field, right? <laughs> Danger one is dehydration. You can... Working out there in the sun, you could pass out. Where is she going to get water from? It would be a well. And he's like, just like all my other servants can take their water breaks, so can you. Feel free. But then also, there's the protection element that I mentioned earlier. There is that element of harassment that she could face at any time. And he promises that he has put a word out. Don't you touch this woman. This godly man uses his power and authority to protect this woman, not to do her harm. This is true manhood on display. Godly men build up and protect our women. We don't tear them down. We empower them. Verse 10, Ruth is overwhelmed with gratitude for finding favor, though she was a foreigner, an enemy, and so she asked why. Look at verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? See, this favor is the idea of showing a special, over-the-top kindness to someone. It's kind of like a teacher's pet, but without the hint of injustice. She's wondering, why would you show gratitude to me? And brothers and sisters, let gratitude rather than sinful entitlement be our response to God's kindness to us in Christ Jesus. He has shown us rich mercy, and he's often done that through others. Let us not grow entitled to kindness. Let us grow more and more grateful to it. But consider Ruth's question, why? Why would you make an enemy, your favorite? The answer, it's her repentance and her faith. Her repentance and her faith. Look at verse 11 and 12. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law 
since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. See, first we see this report. He tells her, I heard a report of you about your repentance and faith. All that she did for her mother-in-law since that nightmare began. She stood by her side. Where you go, I will go. Your people, my people. Your God, my God. That was a declaration of real, genuine faith. And it was a repentance. He mentions the repentance. It's, and repentance is a change of mind evidenced by a change of allegiance. Change of mind evidenced by a change of allegiance. She repented. She left or turned away from her father, her mother, her country. For Israel, for people she did not know. And notice that she turned, see, faith, repentance and faith is not just what you turn away from, it's also what you turn to. She turned, first he mentions, to God's people. How can you claim to be a Christian and hate God's people? How can you say that you follow Jesus and you neglect the people that he shed his blood for? If you don't even care about showing up to the gatherings of God's people, and praise God for you all who have prioritized being here. But if there's any temptation in you to lower that standard, brother and sister, remember how sacred a gathering this is. This is special. She turns to God's people, but most of all, she turns to God. Look at verse 12. It says, You've turned to the God of Israel. May, may Yahweh repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now, this is very interesting, this imagery of taking refuge under God's wings. This is depicting God like a mother bird guarding her little chicklings. And so I looked it up. Went to YouTube, typed in, birds protecting their babies. And I was shocked. There was this the one, my, my favorite one, <laughs> it was a few of them, all right? <laughs> but my favorite one was this mother hen, and she has, a, she has a whole bunch of little chicklings, and here comes these two cobras slithering in trying to destroy her babies, trying to eat them. And mama hen goes off. <laughs> she goes flapping her wings and boom, boom, boom. Like, and the cobras, I'm talking about cobras, they back down. <laughs> Why does this mother hen risk her life? It's because of her great love for her babies. Well, in Ruth, Boaz sees a little chickling running and hiding behind Mama Bird. He sees Ruth hiding behind Yahweh, taking refuge in 
Yahweh. Friend, do you understand that Yahweh is a refuge that you can run to? Have you turned to him and ran to him for safety? Not just safety from physical harm, which he is great at protecting from, and ultimately he will raise your body up on the last day if you repent and trust in his son, but most of all, he will save you from the wrath to come. He will save you from an eternity in hell where you will have to drink the bitter cup of wrath for your sin. For you breaking God's law time and time again. God is a strong tower. The righteous run into him and they are safe. See, they're not righteous because they're good people. They're righteous because they run to him. Well, then there's this part about reward. He prays that Yahweh will reward her works of faith. See, these actions that she did for Naomi was rooted in repentance and faith. She took good care of her. He prays that Yahweh will reward her works of faith. And, and this is a little odd to us a little bit. We're not as comfortable with, uh, with re- God rewarding us. Um, but you need to understand three pen- principles undergirding this that we can't confuse. Sa- number one, salvation is by grace alone through faith alone, not of works, lest any man should boast. No good works can get you right with God. It's all by repentance and faith, trusting in his son. That's principle number one. Read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 and get back to me. But then number two, good works evidence faith, they don't earn faith. Good works evidence faith, they don't earn it. Look at James 2, 18 through 26. In principle three, proven faith is rewarded by God. A proven faith is rewarded by God. It is not as if God owes us anything because all of the grace through faith is a gift. It's all of God. It's all his doing. You repenting and believe the gospel, it was his work from the beginning. He chose you before the world began. So how can you boast? This is one of the things that makes Christianity so different from every other religion. We don't trust in our works to get us right with God. Yet, God loves and delights in his children's obedience of faith. Friend, if you trust in Jesus Christ and you are walking by faith, no matter how feeble that walk might be, no matter how often you may trip and stumble, no matter how you got in the ring and you lost that bout, that round, friend, you have trusted in Christ. He loves you. He cares for you. He will not forsake you. You can hide in him, trust in his work, not in your own. And as you depend on his spirit, he will empower you to grow in more and more conformity to Christ. Don't wallow in your sin and self-pity. Look to Christ. Look to him. See, the Lord wills what he rewards, and he rewards what he wills. Application, though. Non-Christian, repent and believe the good news of Jesus Christ. Turn to him for refuge. 
If you want to know more about what this means, talk to one of the pastors at these doors. I'll be here at the 6th and A Street exit. Or you can talk to any member here. We would love to have that conversation. I, I guarantee any member of this church would be happy to read the Word of God with you and talk with you as long as it takes to, for you to understand what it means to follow Christ. But Christian, don't grow weary or take God's protection for granted. He cares for you. But also, like Boaz, become an extension of God's wings. Become a shelter for those who are afflicted, especially those who come into our congregation. Don't despise them because they're different. Don't let, don't give in to prejudices or our self-righteousness that we so often fight. Be a lover of outcasts and strangers. Welcome someone to your dinner table that's different than you are. Welcome them and correct those who dehumanize the poor the weak, the foreigner. Our kindness, motivated by Christ's kindness to us, can be the very means of God taking the bitterness of someone's life and making it sweet again. So we've seen how God takes the bitterness of life and makes it sweet again by his sovereignty, by his protection, but also he does so by his provision. His provision, that's verses 14 through 17. And I'll read that. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. And do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean. And do not rebuke her. First, we see Boaz's hospitality. We see Boaz welcomes her to the table and feeds her fully. See, Boaz, he had declared that he would protect her. He had declared that he would be a refuge for her. He had declared that, and he is not like some corrupt telemarketer who promises things and doesn't fulfill them. He comes through. He delivers. And she eats so well that she even has a to-go box. Then in verse 15 and 16, he publicly commands his servants to treat her with dignity and respect. You see, the command, no shame, do not rebuke her. And he also commands his servants to help her, let her glean among the sheaves, pull out some from the bundles. This is above and beyond, okay? He's basically rigging the game so that she'll get extra. This is above and beyond. And I cannot help but to think about Psalm 23. My cup runneth over. This is God's provision. God's provision is not miserly. It is generous. In verse 17, she goes back and, and she has an ephah of, of barley. See, an ephah is a bushel. 
okay? And a bushel of that type of grain would be somewhere between 40 to 60 pounds. That's food for a month that she gleaned in a day. This is abundant. Friend, do you trust, brothers and sisters, do you trust Yahweh's provision? God is a generous provider, not a stinny, penny-pinching, miserly God. But where are you tempted to doubt his provision? Let me remind you of these promises, promises, Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God promises his disciples that if they pursue his kingdom, pursue the advancement of the the gospel, seeing the the church built up, focus on that mission, I will take care of everything you need, your necessities, what you wear, what you need to eat, he promises. Or Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. See, the Philippian church, they were a struggling church financially, yet they gave over and above and beyond. They were seeking the kingdom first. And Paul said, I am sure God will provide. If you seek God's kingdom, you, you pursue his kingdom first, he promises to provide. But also, we need to be careful on the flip side. There's another danger. There's the danger of what we call the health and wealth prosperity gospel here. There's a temptation for some to put promises in God's mouth that he never promised. They treat the word of God and God's word as if God exists to make you rich. And friends, that is not what God promised. He has promised that we will have troubles in this world, that we might even suffer for his name. We will suffer sometimes. We might go through struggles sometimes. And there's no amount of faith, word of faith, that can, like a magic genie, change your circumstances. And if that's a temptation for you, let me remind you, flee from it, because it's a lie from the pit of hell. But also, one way that we can be encouraged by this is to remember the ways that God has provided. I mean, I was, I was thinking through this passage about ways that God has provided for me. And me and Casey, we have this discipline of writing down answer prayers requests and, and blessings. I think we're in the 300s now that we've been able to accumulate over the years. And it's just a great reminder of God's faithfulness to us. And we were looking through trying to find what one might I be able to share. But then it hit me while I was sitting right there talking to Mark. Standing right here, a year and a half after I closed Greater Love Church in hope that God may resurrect her one day. And now standing here as one of your pastors, being loved and cared for by you all. You all have been a refuge for me and my family and my local congregation. I want to thank you all. God supplied our needs even through this church. So seek his kingdom first. Remember the stories of saints of old like George Mueller who fed and housed thousands of orphans by dependence on God's promise. And remember your own story. 
God takes the bitterness of life and makes it sweet again through his provision. And his main way is finally that he provides for us is by his redeemer, his redeemer. Look at verse 18. And her mother-in-law said to her, where, do, where did you glean today? I mean, I'm sorry, verse 18. And she took it up, that's the ephah, and went into the city. And it was, oh, I keep losing my place, I'm sorry, y'all. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Mic drop. Boaz, the very one who could redeem, the very one who could come to their aid, is the one whose she's find help and refuge from. Look at verse 18. Ruth was strong, though, y'all. She was strong. She carried those 60 pounds of grain back home. And also, Ruth was loving and faithful. She even pulls out her to-go box and gives it to her mother-in-law. And then seeing the big haul that she's received, Naomi is blown away. Who is the source that did all this for you? And then she pronounces blessing from God. Y'all, do you see what transformation just took place? Don't miss it. God has led this woman who was just declaring how cursed she was, how bitter she was, and now she's turning to praise. Blessed be the one in whom Ruth has found help. And then Ruth replies, and it's the last word out of her mouth is the most important, Boaz. And then Naomi breaks forth in a second round of prayer of blessing upon Boaz by, by Yahweh. And the word she says there is, blessed is the one who has shown kindness. That word kindness is chesed, that, that is God's loving faithfulness to a covenant. Yahweh had not forsaken his covenant with the living or with the dead. Naomi is overjoyed because she realizes that Boaz's kindness is an extension of Yahweh's loving kindness. But note that word redeemer. To redeem here means to buy back. It means that Boaz, oh yeah, in verse 20, she says it, he is one of our redeemers. That word to redeem means to buy back. It means that Boaz has the ability to rightfully buy their family back from bankruptcy and make them members of his household. Boaz is great 
And men, we should want to be like him. And sisters, please follow Ruth's example. Try to be a Boaz and find you a Boaz and all that. Hashtag dating goals. I get that. But Boaz is just a small picture of his greatest grandson, Jesus Christ. And before you should try to be like Jesus Christ, you need to be in Jesus Christ. United to him by faith. Boaz was from Bethlehem. But guess who was born in Bethlehem? Jesus Christ. Boaz wished a blessing of God's presence on his servants. Jesus is the very presence of God with his servants. Emmanuel, God with us. Boaz cared for and abundantly provided for the hungry Jew and Gentile. Jesus fed 5,000 Jews and 4,000 Gentiles in a day with tons of leftovers to share. And more than that, Jesus is the bread of life. Boaz protected Ruth from physical harm. Jesus protects his church from the schemes of Satan, from death, and most of all, the wrath of God. How? I'm glad you asked. He did it through dying as a sacrificial offering for all who would repent of their sins and trust in him. In his place, in our place, condemned, he stood. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. This is our Messiah. He shed his blood, fully God and fully man, like we read earlier. We confess he stood in the place of all of us who would trust in him. And then he rose again from the grave. Jesus is the grave conquering Messiah King. He is the greater redeemer. He is the key to all of God's promises. And Christian, don't you forget it. Just earlier, I forgot my keys. I forgot to give Casey the keys to the van. And she owns that van. That van belongs to us. But without the keys to that van, that van is useless for its purpose. Without the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer being at the heart of all of our faith, all of our action, all of our work, without that key, the gospel of Jesus Christ, our, all of our good works mean nothing. He is the key to all things, the whole Bible. It all points to him. And so, friend, if you are here and you're not a Christian, just believing in God is not enough. You can't just believe in a God and think you're going to be okay. God went through too much. God the Son literally became a curse on a tree to set those who would trust in him free. You cannot ignore that and think you're going to be okay on judgment day. So we plead with you, trust in him. In verse 21 through 22, Ruth clarifies that the invitation to Boaz's protection and provision is not just for that day, but it was all the way to the end of the harvest. She needs to stay with the Redeemer's people to be safe. And Ruth keeps her promise to Naomi and remains with her just like she said. We see a transformation take 
place in Naomi. And I believe that if you trust in Yahweh's sovereignty, rely on his provision, hope in his redeemer, you will be delivered from any bitterness you're facing, any circumstances or hardship you're facing. The Lord will see you through. Even death can't stop you if you're clinging to Christ because he will raise you up on that last day and welcome you into glory. So how did Naomi go from bitter to sweet than before? It was through God's sovereignty, protection, provision, and most of all, his redeemer. And how might you move from bitterness to sweetness? Trusting God's sovereignty, relying on his protection, depending on his provision, and hoping in his redeemer, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, you are wonderful in all that you do. We praise you for being the God who can move broken and bitter people from that state into a state of hope and joy in your Redeemer. Lord, may we glory in Christ Jesus all of our days until he returns. In Jesus' name, amen.